Hey, you guys, welcome to the Main and Magic podcast, your stop for all things Disney. I'm your host, Dawn Brown, and this is episode number nine. Whether you're adventuring in the parks or at home via Disney Entertainment, I'm here to bring you the guests and info that'll pixie dust your experience, and we're picking up lots of new friends along the way. You can catch the links to our audio recordings on our website at mainandmagic.com and subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Just search for the Main and Magic podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at Main and Magic. And after the show, we invite you to join our community on Facebook to share your thoughts about each topic and to connect with other Disney fans. Katie returns for this episode, and we discuss what documentaries and docu series on Disney Plus we recommend watching first. With so many options to choose from, <laughs> we help you narrow down where to start. We share info about our picks and who we think they'd be the best for. And there's really something for everyone. And we really can't wait to hear what you pick first. So join us on the red car trolley as we take a ride to the crossroads of Maine and Magic. Hey, welcome aboard, everybody. Uh, we are going to be talking today about the best documentaries and docu-series to watch first on Disney+. Plus. And joining me, of course, is the woman who has been forced to watch every Star Wars film but has yet to see The Princess and the Frog, Katie Fisher from Pictures and Postcards Travel. Have you seen The Princess and the Frog yet? No, not yet. All right. It's still on your list. It's in the queue. It's in the queue. It's on my wish list. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It is officially in my Disney Plus wish list uh, or watch list, if you will. But I have not had a chance in the past couple weeks to watch it. It is is there, though. I'm, I'm almost ready to commit. Okay. A couple hours to watch it. Um, Okay, so I thought it would be cool to jump into a Disney Plus themed episode because we haven't touched really on this yet. And, um, you know, obviously Disney Plus kind of debuted in late 2019, which... Can we all just appreciate the exquisite timing of that? <laughs> oh, my God. No, that's perfect. So, you know, and I know a lot of people signed up immediately. They had deals going with, you know, packages with ESPN and Hulu and all kinds of things. So a lot of people signed up. A lot of people decided to wait until, uh, you know, they started releasing episodes of The Mandalorian. Um, but I think there's been a lot of people that have signed up now, you know, especially over the last year because we had so much time to sit at home and watch TV. Yeah, we we signed up uh, when they first announced it. We signed up right away to have access to it. And then shortly after our access started, we got signed up for a new phone plan through Verizon and they gave us an additional year for free. So anyone who has Verizon 
check it out because you can pause your Disney Plus membership, start your one year at Verizon, and then when that's up, you continue your two years that you already pay for. So a little uh, tidbit of advice. I got three years for the price of two. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, I had heard yeah. about that Verizon thing. Um, we we have T-Mobile and AT&T, so we <laughs> we don't get that. But, um, yeah, that's something to look into because they might retroactively kind of fix it for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It is definitely come in handy, though. We have Disney Plus playing every day in this house, so... <laughs> And when you first signed up, I know a lot of people when they first signed up, it was kind of like, oh, I'm, you know, now I can show my kid Cinderella, you know, or, or Aristocats or some of these old Disney movies where you're not just going to find the DVD out in town or, you know, and of course they all came off of Netflix, so you can't get it on Netflix anymore. Um, but it, I think a lot of people were just like, oh, now I can watch all these older movies that I really liked. And, you know, I, now I don't have to buy Frozen when it comes out on DVD. I can just watch it on Disney+. Plus. But, you know, of course, there's all these other things that they have put on there that people might not have known about or looked over or were like, I don't know if I want to watch that. I don't, I don't know if that's for me. Um, so that's kind of what we're going to get into today. The yeah. the things that we think would be great for a Disney fan, you know, whether it's an animation fan or a parks fan or, uh, you know, Disney company history fan. These are kind of the things that, you know, we picked for you yeah. guys to consider watching first. Um so of course I'm gonna let my guests go first. So what what's what's your what's first on your list? Either just because it's the first thing you wrote down, or it's <laughs> it's the first thing you think people should watch. Um. So I'm gonna go. I'm I'm gonna talk about the one that actually truthfully gets played every day in this house. Um. There's only eight episodes right now, and it's called The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. Um, it's something my son loves. He talks about every day about how when he grows up, he's going to be on the manatee team and I can be on his team, which apparently he's going to be a vet is what I've learned. Um, and he wants me to work with him and Disney on his team. So that's cool. Uh, hopefully he stays that way. <laughs> but I, I just, I really, the, the series actually made me enjoy looking forward to going to Animal Kingdom again. So it's eight episodes. Um, as many of you guys know that listen to the podcast, Animal Kingdom is not a zoo, um, but there are a ton of animals. And I'll be honest with you, after watching these eight episodes, there's animals that are at Animal Kingdom that I didn't even know about. And I've been to Disney a lot. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it kind of, the premise of the show itself is it's hosted by Josh Gad, um, awesome actor, one of my favorites. And it's a backstage pass to Disney's Animal Kingdom and also, uh, the Seas with Nemo and Friends over at Epcot. So our two places in Disney 
that has live animals. Um, there's elephants, gorillas, manatees, uh, crocodiles, vultures, bedrosas. Uh, anyone knows what the bedrosa is? I would love for you guys to tell me because until a couple of weeks ago, I didn't know. <laughs> um, but it kind of goes behind the scenes and backstage and shows you all the training that's involved, how all these animals are cared for, um, the communication between cast members of what has to go, what's going on stage between on stage and backstage. If an animal is sick or has to be transported to, um, over to Animal Kingdom or back to where the, the vet is basically at Animal Kingdom, they show you what it takes to get that animal in the truck and all the security measures that are in, t- that it takes to get this animal there. And then one further, which I knew it was there, but I guess I never really appreciated it. If you're lucky enough and you're at, um, back where uh, you could be at anim- in Animal Kingdom, which the name of it will come to me in a second. Um, but it's where, like, the petting area is, affection section yeah. of Animal Kingdom. You can actually, if you're lucky enough, you could see the vets working on one of these animals that are due for a checkup. Oh, yeah, they have, like, windows and stuff. Yeah, you can look yeah. right in. Yep. But, I mean, I'm watching this going, you know, I really want to go. And my son, too, you know, James, who's five, he's like, next time we go to next time we go to Animal Kingdom, can we try and find Gino, the gorilla, and tell him happy birthday? Because one of the episodes was about his birthday. So it's just, you know, I had no idea that when you walk in to Animal Kingdom in one of those little areas there, there's vultures. Mm-hmm. Hang out. And I kind of, I, I think I really enjoy this show because I have always, I'll admit it, I have taken Animal Kingdom for granted. I was one of the people that went in, did the three things I wanted to do when I walked out. And after watching this, I want to go in and really enjoy the purpose of what Animal Kingdom is all about. As a former Disney's Animal Kingdom cast member. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, who worked in doing education in the park, I can tell you that we felt that. We felt that people were coming in to do the three rides and then leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I did I did start watching this, actually. Um, uh, I forget if I'm two or three episodes in, but um, it is really interesting. And, you know, that's coming from, you know, I got to walk around backstage and, uh, you know, I didn't handle animals like in my actual hands. All the animals, critters, creepy crawlies really is what we, what I handled. Those were all in like the clear like plexiglass boxes. But you know, like there's still a process of like going to get the animal and uh, you know checking it out and letting you know making sure that our um, Leaders know who has it, where it is, how long it's been out, when it's coming back in, making sure that the environment that they get stored in is properly like air conditioned or heated, depending on what it is and all those things. So when you see it from, you know, for a large animal, like we used to, you know, like you can walking around backstage, we can see like, (laughs) 
the structures where they have to like have the rhinoceros and all of, you know, the larger animals and, um, things like that. So, and yeah, there's so much more to animal kingdom too, even than just the animals, like there's horticulture and, you know, all of these plants and things come from somewhere and there's somebody that has to take care of them and plant them. And it's really, it's an interesting park and it's unlike any of, you know, the other three parks are not like this. This is a completely different, um, thing so i think it would be cool if they did a series about each of the other parks in terms of what it takes to run them yeah like because you know at you know at the studios you have a lot of actors right so it would be interesting to see like behind the scenes of phantasmic and beauty and the beast and you know Mm -hmm. so yeah i think it would be cool if they did that but Animal Kingdom is its own thing because you can, like you said, your son knows the animal's name. So you can, yeah. you, you can kind of like follow their life in a way that you don't, you're not really going to have that connection to the other parks. Right. I thought it, I thought it was really cool too. Cause in a couple of like, in a couple of the episodes, um, there's one where they, you know, all the animals are, they have the choice. You know, they never force an animal to do anything. So including the giraffes who they, they have, they have a choice, but they show the process of training this giraffe on how to move forward and how they trained it to lift up its left rear leg. Like they trained a giraffe to do this. And I thought that was really cool. And then, so when we first started watching it, because it was an every Friday thing, so every Friday he got home from school and he's like, can we watch Magic of Animal Kingdom today? I'm like, sure, let's go. But um, so the second episode, I believe, there is, they introduce a baby zebra onto the safari, into the safari. And I'm sitting there and I had to rewind it. So this baby zebra that's in the second episode, when this episode was filmed, we were there a week after it was filmed. And I only know that because when we were in Disney a year ago and we went on the safari, we got lucky enough to see this baby zebra. And they said he was just introduced to the Savannah this week. Oh, and cool. on Magic Kingdom, they said this is his first day and they show how he was introduced to the Savannah. So we were at Animal Kingdom the week after this was basically i'm like oh man we missed it um yeah that's that i i i can't wait to go back to animal kingdom and really take in all that it really has to offer and i i really recommend going and checking this out it's they're about 45 minute episodes maybe a little bit less um there's only eight of them right now they have not come out with when a second season is going to um, air if there is a second season. So we're kind of still waiting around for that. But I mean, honestly, he'll, he'll sit there and he'll play his games on his iPad and then, um, he will said, okay, time for, you know, you can, you can watch something for a little bit. He's like, I think I want to watch about Gino today. And he'll put on Magic of Animal Kingdom to see the same episode every other day, but he still, he doesn't get dull of it. So. Um, kudos to you guys for, for this one. This is a winner in my book. 
also winner for everyone, all ages. Yeah. All ages for this one, definitely. Okay. Cool. I'm kind of excited you picked that one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm anyone I offended for saying that Animal Kingdom was not a full day park for me. I (laughs) cracked my former statement. I no longer feel this way, and I cannot wait to go and spend at least one full day, if not two, at Animal Kingdom enjoying the animals. So, awesome. I'm going to take us over to the, a show called Prop Culture. Ooh. This was really cool. Uh, okay, so it's like, I don't know, uh, Antiques Roadshow meets something that is not for people that are old. <laughs> I shouldn't say that because I religiously watch Antiques Roadshow. No, it it is really cool though. So it it does it. Um, this guy Dan Lanigan, he's like the producer and the 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 guy in the show. Um, he there's uh eight episodes and every episode he does a different Disney movie. Um, and what he does is he tracks down the props from these movies. And he talks to the people that made them, the people that worked with them, um, even some of the actors that used the prop in the movie to see, like, what they felt about it. Um, it's really cool. So there's, yeah, there's eight episodes. Uh, there's Mary Poppins, Tron, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and the Muppet movie. So each episode is a different movie, and um, I still have to watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit and the Muppet movie. I've I've watched the first six so far. Um, The Mary Poppins one was so awesome. Like, all I'm going to say is he talks to Richard Sherman. (laughs) 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 And you get to see the snow globe and it's, it's so cool too, because it's a story about the people behind the props as much as it is about the props. And it just kind of like, it also gives you a peek, you know, behind the door, if you will, of the Walt Disney archives, because he is visiting the archives and they're pulling things out of crates to show him. Oh wow! Yeah. It's, like um, the carousel horse from Mary Poppins. Of course, that used to be uh, in the queue at the great movie ride. Um, but just, you know, artwork um, from the movie, because, you know, when Mary Poppins was filmed, a lot of the backdrops that you see are paintings. They're just oil on canvas paintings. And then they've sort of like, put the you know Mary Poppins like floating down to the street like she's floating down to the street in front of an oil painting (laughs) so you know it's cool because you learn little things about these movies because you know now we have you know eight part series behind the scenes filming of the Mandalorian 
we we didn't you don't have that for Mary Poppins. Right. Nobody was you know, there's still photographs and things that were happening backstage, but like really all we have left is still photographs and whatever props are still in existence. So this is the only ways that we can tell the stories of these movies now. Um the other one was the the Nightmare Before Christmas one is incredible. Just how much work goes into stop motion animation. I mean, you just thinking about it, you know that it's so much work. But when you get to actually see the the basically claymation, like the figurines and like how they have to move them and like how how delicate they are. I mean, in that episode, he ha- he had the the hill, you know, the hill that Jack walks up and it kind of unrolls itself. So yeah. he had that big, huge set, you know, and he's looking at it and the guy that operated it was like talking about how, how it worked and just, it's so incredible. And, um, like for the, the Pirates of the Caribbean one, he actually travels to St. Vincent, which is the island that they use as sort of like the Caribbean backdrop. What was the prop that was from uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? Oh, I'm so glad that you asked that because I made a special <laughs> note. <laughs> Obviously, this was a big deal when we were kids. Um, yeah. So. Like that thing at Hollywood Studios was the play area. With the big ants and the Cheerio and the Kodak slide that my sister fell down. So, like, that's the um, So, he goes to the Walt Disney Archives and they unpack for him the shrink ray. No. But the, the shrink ray has been used in multiple, like, movies and has been altered from the original shrink ray. So, not only do they unpack it for him, they give it to him. to go get fully restored to its original awesomeness. And he actually show the guy in the episode that is doing the restoration. So, yeah, it's so cool. And then, you know, um, well, I don't want to tell you this. I don't want to tell you the prop for every movie, um, but they're all worth watching. And they're, you know, you know, every movie has probably a handful of props where you see it and you're like, that's that movie. Right. Like, obviously, the snow globe from Mary Poppins, like, that's that movie. As much as her bag is that movie and the carousel horse. So just think about those things. And, you know, it's funny because when I hit episode two, which is Tron, that it's the 1982 Tron movie with Jeff Bridges. I was like, meh, I don't know anything about this movie, but I liked the movie with Olivia Wilde, so I'll just watch it. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Because the compute, they didn't have, they're making a movie about going into, you know, like kind of getting uploaded to the grid during a time when that wasn't even a thing. So it was like so far ahead of its time and the way that they had to portray that in the movie without actually having the technology that we have now, it's crazy. It's funny how simple they can get to make things look so much more technical than they actually are. 
And then also how much for granted we take the technology that we have today and what they had to work with back in 1982. So um, I highly recommend it. This is, this is great for anybody who's a movie buff, anybody who, you know, loves old Disney movies, anybody who's into like just artifacts. Um, you know, what's that, what's that show in with the guys in Vegas at the pawn shop, pawn stars. If you like pawn stars or antiques, Rojo or any of those things, you're going to like this. You're going to like this show. It's really cool. Uh, so that's my pick. I have seen, I've, you know, I've seen the, I know the prop culture. It looks like the big Hollywood sign. Like I've seen the, the logo, if you will. Yeah. The cover. Right. Yeah. Thank you. It's there. It's one of the ones that I'm like, I, going to watch that. I'm going to. But I after hearing all that, I'm adding it to it's officially going on the on the watch list. Yeah, yeah. Getting it's, at it. It's it's good. It's it's worth watching. And the the episodes aren't long. They're like a half an hour or so, so it, it's easy to, you know, get through them and yeah. So that's my pick. Where are you where are you where are you heading next? Um so I'm gonna, I'm going to I'm going to stick with the uh, Disney itself as a park, um, if you will, and I really enjoyed the One Day at Disney shorts. So, if you are looking on your on your search menu at on Disney Plus, there's two One Day at Disney's. One is a full length episode, and then if you only have a couple minutes here and there, uh, these are very brief, six eight minute episodes, but the One Day at Disney Shorts kind of takes you into the life of being a Disney cast member. So it doesn't necessarily mean like how Dawn and I were both cast members, you know, interviewing Dawn at Animal Kingdom or myself in quick service. We're talking ESPN sports anchors um, because ESPN is does carry the Disney name. They are part of the Disney family. Um there's uh animators there's the the acting staff from some of the shows i mean they get into cast member roles that i guess we're going to go with the take for granted i guess again of oh that is a cast member oh there is somebody that you know buzz lightyear to come up with how buzz lightyear looked in toy story they didn't just pull the toy off the shelf at at target like somebody had to come up with that idea and you can't just come up with the idea on a computer there's actually somebody who for these pixar movies who molds these characters out of clay and that's where they get the idea for the pixar movie is from this clay oh yeah like the sculptor yeah yeah i heard there was even uh, i i watched the full length episode um and that you know that that was a wide array, you know, they're, they're showing them setting up for like the run Disney and like everything that goes into that. And then the next thing, you know, they're over talking to, I mean, just so, so many different ones, but weren't the shorts, like, didn't they do one a week for a year? Yeah. There's there like is, 52 of them. 50, 50 episodes. And then there's a season finale. So 51 episodes where they, um, 
basically just go through a seven minute um season finale of each cast member really quick that they've talked to. So I heard there was, was one yeah. of a of a recovery diver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I was like, well, I'm going to go watch that. <laughs> but it, it's something where, you know, you don't have to sit and binge all 51 episodes in one night. You can. It's very easy, too, because you're, you know, they're very quick episodes. It's not taking a half an hour of time. Um, they're less than 10 minutes an episode. But it's kind of cool to just get their... Um, basically a day in the life of what they do when they're on stage and when they're backstage and um the being a, uh, in the theater and just I thought it was really cool it was interesting to look at there's more Disney cast members than what we know there's not just those people that take your money when you check into the hotel <laughs> you know? yeah I know I think a lot of people I feel like I'm constantly you know, oh, oh, I'm, you know, the, friends, like, oh, I'm going to school for accounting, so I could never work there. Well, Disney has accountants. Disney has lawyers. Right. Disney has doctors and nurses. Yeah. They're, they, you know, my friend, um, one of my roommates on my professional internship was a copywriter because somebody has to write the copy on the website. And somebody has to write the copy in the map. And somebody has to write the copy for the marketing campaign. Somebody has to write. Somebody has to be there to do that. Graphic yeah. design, uh, you know, a chef. There's yes. there's something for everybody in the Disney company. People that wash windows, mechanics, plumbers. I mean, it's if there's literally no job. Like, other than astronaut. Maybe <laughs> there, if you are, whatever job you're doing, that job exists within the right. Walt Disney company. If you have that secret, uh, that secret, uh, goal in life to working for the Disney company, but you feel that, oh, I can't do that with what I went to school for. But you can, you, you actually can. So it, there's, Check them out. I mean, even if you scroll through them and eventually get to all of them, but scroll through some of them and see which one might, you know, might be intriguing. Um, and look into the different Disney companies too. Like I said, ESPN is Disney. That's, that's, that's. Yeah. Disney. And then they do one with Robin Roberts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you, cause you have, you have ABC News as part of. Right. Good Morning America is. Yep. Cool. Yeah, I think it's cool that they're putting out that information. I don't, you know, I don't know what inspired them to do that, um, but it is cool to that they're drawing attention to the fact that it's not just Imagineers and then the people that sell you popcorn. There's a whole, there's a lot of people in between those two things. (laughs) Yeah, so I I really, uh, that was... That was actually one of the very first things that I watched when I got Disney Plus was, was that. That was, that was my first go-to of having it. And it was not, I did not regret any minute of it. It was worth every minute of what I watched. So that's kind of for... I, I honestly think it could be for everybody. I mean, you could get, you know, I look at, I look at having a five-year-old who, you know, granted when, when I was, 
when I was 18, I changed my mind 12 times of what I wanted to do in life, you know? So is he going to stick with what he's saying now? No. But I look at my five-year-old who's saying, I want to be a vet when I grow up and I'm going to work at Disney and I'm going to be on the manatee team. Like I look at it that you have kids who have passions of things, whether it be working on cars with dad or doing anything, but also has that Disney, wants that Disney in his life. I think this is something that anybody could watch for any age. And just expose them to a lot of the different jobs that exist out there. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. And obviously anybody who's like really interested in the inner workings of parks and the company, you know, in and of itself. Cool. All right. Where do I go from here? Where are you going? What, what, are you, I, what are you doing next? I'm wondering. There's a one that we have matched. I'm I'm briefly going to talk about this one. It um mostly because I'm still learning <laughs> about all the things, but I do I did put on my list the Disney Gallery, um, the Mandalorian. So this is like a behind-the-scenes look. It's a series, a behind-the-scenes look of making The Mandalorian. Um, It's, okay, this is great for any Star Wars fan at all. Anybody who is a tech nerd, anybody who likes video games, ironically, and anybody who is interested in the process of movie making, you're not required to be interested in all of those things together. Even if you don't like Star Wars, this will be interesting to you if you like tech things or video games. So it's like eight episodes, I think. They're like an hour-ish, 45 minutes to an hour-ish long. And it's a combination of the... Producers and directors at like a round table, think of like Charlie Rose style, like you don't see anything in the background, it's just a table and everything in the background is black and they're just sitting around this table having conversations about their inspiration and the struggles that they faced and new things that they learned and how they took things from other projects they did and applied them to this project and the history of Star Wars and all of these things. So it's a combination of that and actual footage of them filming it and how they used all of this crazy just technology. I I don't even, there's no, I don't even know another word to use besides just technology (laughs) to describe it. So honestly, like you couldn't, knocked me over with a feather when I found out that they did not film a lot of these scenes, most of these scenes at a location. Because have you, have you, yeah, have you watched the series? Mandalorian? Yeah. Yes, I have. Okay. I am one I I just assumed. Because <laughs> yeah. I know what's I, happening in your household. <laughs> I, I, I did not have a choice in the matter. Yeah. Uh, and that once I saw uh, Baby Yoda, which we now know as Grogu, once I saw him, the only reason I came back week to week was 
to see Baby Yoda. So. I know. <laughs> I simply pretended like I was, oh, yeah, yeah, I totally get that uh, reference, but. Oh, yeah. Look at it, so cute. Anyways, so precious. And that's that's kind of where I'm at. So, like, my husband knows all the characters and all the worlds and all of that stuff. And to me, it's, it all sounds the same. But I'm just like, this is super entertaining, so I'll watch it. <laughs> also, I love this baby. But, <laughs> but so they, you know, in the old Star Wars movies, they had to go out to destinations in the desert and, you know, deal with the weather and all of these things. They actually, for this series, and they're obviously going to be using this in movies and everything going forward. They created this thing called the volume. And what it is, is it's a seamless screen and it's all around you and above you. And they project basically onto it the background. So they don't have to go out to the desert now (laughs) because the desert is on the screen and then they put props in front of it. So you can't tell the difference between what is a real thing and what is at the screen. It's incredible. And the way that I'm describing it is you have to see it to to totally get it. It, It's so seamless that they could, you could literally walk into the screen and not realize like, because you can't tell even when you're there and they have been using, um, VR tech and video game design to change things on the spot. So where before they would have to film something and then it would be like, well, the lighting on there wasn't right. So we're going to have to do a reshoot or, you know, um, I don't like the way that rock looks in the background. They can literally cut and fix it right now in 30 seconds because they're using these video game, these computers and things that they use to design video games. Cause you know, think about the video games now, right? Your, your first person, you know, role playing video games, you turn to one side and you turn to the other, you're, you're in the environment in the video game. So they're using that technology to create the scenes for this show. It's, it will blow your mind. Huh. <laughs> uh, so I just, it's one of those like, oh yeah, you know, I'll watch it with Dan. We'll sit down. We'll watch it. But I, we've never actually just sat down and watched this thing yet. But now I kind of want to. It's, it's crazy. So, so they'll show, you know, they'll have Pedro Pascal on set. They've got rocks and, you know, all kinds of like things set up and you can see the screen has the background with, you know, whatever desert or whatever jungle, wherever he is, you know, and John Favreau's standing there with the VR headset on his face and he's like looking around at what 
what it's going to look like when they're filming it. And then they can just make, you know, there's a guy there with a computer and then they he can just make changes from what he's seeing in his VR headset. Like, right. It's, it's crazy. It blew my mind. And really not my Oculus to its full potential. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And then, um, they also get into the animatronics and things. Um, some of the characters are simultaneously an actor and animatronics at the same time. So they would be wearing something on them where they're moving the body, but somebody else is controlling the face. Wow. It's insane. It's so crazy. <laughs> I, so I might go and watch this before I watch Princess and the Frog. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> And uh, there's tons of footage, too, of the baby. Like, obviously, the baby, like, the animatronics for the baby are, I mean, it looks real. Yeah. It's in, it's crazy. So, it, that, I mean, I'm, I'll show up for the baby any time. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, and they do, you know, they do talk about some, like carrying on the spirit of Star Wars and still maintaining the look of the original Star Wars as far as like the props and the costumes and things that they're using, but integrating it with all of this new technology. So, you know, one of the things they talk about is when George Lucas was doing the original Star Wars, he actually like they had, they were such low budget, right? So they rented World War II weapons, and because they were rented, they couldn't modify, like, they could not permanently modify them, so they they could only <laughs> modify them with things that they could remove after. Yeah. So, that's the basis of what weapons in Star Wars looks like. How do you now take, you know, <laughs> not permanently modified World War II weapons and put it in the Mandalorian. So it it's really, it's like a history class, a tech class, a movie making class, uh, you know, just like what's going on behind the directors and the producers' minds. You know, there's a lot of different directors on this series um, besides John Favreau, you know, like Bryce Dallas Howard direct some episodes like there's like seven different directors so what do they all think and then Kathleen Kennedy of course is the you know like executive producer of like all the Star Wars things so it's cool to have her there to you know talk about bringing Star Wars into the fold as far as like from a movie over into an actual series that they're releasing every week on Disney plus so this is, yeah, if you're a Star Wars fan, it's mandatory viewing. If you're a movie-making fan, especially if you want to get into making movies in any capacity, either as a cameraman or stunts or whatever, it's mandatory viewing. <laughs> um, and, you know, if you're into, like, video games, I think you would really enjoy this because they're using that tech to make shows. So, yeah, 
like I said, I I can't get into all the like, and this character does this and da 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 with this character because I don't know all their names. <laughs> so, my husband would talk about this completely differently than I would. <laughs> but <Same. laughs> that's, I think, a great place to start. I still can't figure out, like, if it's the, what is Luke? Luke's, uh, oh, crap. Luke Skywalker? Um, I know Luke Skywalker, but he's a rebel, right? Isn't he a rebel? Like, a rebels are good? Yeah. Or something? But in my mind, like, why are rebels good? Like, <laughs> if I was a rebel in high school, I would have been on a bad, like, I would have been bad. So why are rebels good? Like, that makes no sense to me. This whole thing makes <laughs> oh, you'll get there eventually. <laughs> um, okay, so I may I maybe talked about that a little longer than I thought I was going to be able to, but yeah. Um, so I have one that is just a brief one. It is there are not very many episodes. It is not a sit down and watch it for it's. I don't know how to explain it. So this is called, it's just a brief series. It's called Venimation. Uh, it kind of goes along with your, in the sense of artistry and animate, kind of animation. Um, but then the back side of it. So Venimation is a mix between Zen, you think mm-hmm. yoga, very Zen-like, and animation. So what they do is take all these movies, there's different series. So there's um, like a water episode. There's they're like six minutes. They're not long at all. It's something like if you need to just lay down and relax for a minute, you kind of put it on and chill out. Um, the water one actually sticks with me the most. It was probably my favorite. There's like a landscape one. There's air. But what it, that they do is take all these movies. So think about all these animation movies that have water in them. You have The Little Mermaid. You have... Moana, obviously. Um, and they, they take parts where we're in the water episode now. So they take parts where water is in the episode. So you have Moana diving into the ocean to grab the heart of Tafiti and popping up out of the water, holding her hand up with the heart of Tafiti in her hand. And she's shouting, you know, I have it or whatever she says in the moment. But in this animation, they cut all the words out. So all you hear is basically the backside of everything. So everything that kind of goes into the background music, if you will, if you were in a, a live action movie, um, you kind of just hear all that. You hear the water crashing against the rocks. You hear what it sounds like when she comes up above the water or when Ariel pops up on top of the rock and the wave splashes behind her. Like what that would sound like without any other sound and just the water or um, the skyscraper one, you have Aladdin and Jasmine on the magic carpet. So the whooshing of the magic carpet, it's, it's not, it's a very quick episode. It could be for anyone that needs to just sit down and relax. Um, kind of a white noise type of thing, if you will. Uh, there's not, I think there was like eight episodes again, only like six minutes long, but I just thought it was really cool. And a back way of looking at, the other things that go into the animation movies side of it. So again, not something long kind of, if you need to relax, 
but I, I actually really enjoyed watching those. They were really cool and interesting. I thought that would be cool because I bet you, you could see like, like I'm just thinking about air. Like you said, uh, Aladdin's carpet, but I'm also thinking like rescuers down under. Yeah. So you probably saw snippets from movies that you haven't thought about in years. Oh yeah. And are they all only the animated movies that they're showing? All only animated, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's no, there is no talking whatsoever. I mean, you're, think of, like I said, think of a white noise machine or one of those where you play the CD of waves crashing on the beach type of. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. But you're watching the animation. So you're hearing what goes into making this animation, but in a very zen-like way. That's cool. Zenimation. I I did. I really thought it was cool. It was interesting. And it might be good. That's that's probably good for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> everybody I mean, needs it, that. <laughs> you can set your any device up to just play next, play next, play next. So, you know, you have. Um, and I I actually think the last episode plays everything all together. So it might have been seven episodes, and then the eighth one was like everything all in one. Um, but you have a kid who. You know, you need to put them to sleep and instead of a white noise machine, put that on and let them just listen to all that. I mean, it's, it was kind of relaxing. It was, it was interesting. It was neat. I, I enjoyed it. Cool. And it was different. It goes, you know, it goes with that whole Disney Plus thing of it's not just watching Bambi or putting Frozen 2 on for the eight bajillionth time. Like it's something different that somebody in Disney, somebody that works as a Disney cast member, somewhere along the way, has taken all this and taken the time to take all the words out and put this program together, which that six-minute episode probably took them weeks to put together. Yeah. So. I feel personally attacked by your comment about Frozen 2. (laughs) (laughs) Because I I have seen it that many times. Yeah. I love it. I'm not, I was not mocking it by any means. I actually thoroughly enjoyed it. Hence why when it's my turn next, it is the next thing I'm talking about. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I feel like you told me that you saw this, so you might also have some input. Um, but I'm going to go to a documentary by Don Hahn called Waking Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. And this is required viewing for anybody who is a big animation, Disney animation fan, and anybody who is sort of a Disney, Walt Disney Company history junkie. Um, so it's, a it, for anybody who doesn't know, Don Hahn is a producer. Um, he worked on Beauty and the Beast, the animated version. Um, he's done documentaries. He's a writer. He's, you know, he has a long history with the Walt Disney Company. So he made this documentary, um, just with, footage and photographs and things that 
they ha- they happen to have from this this time. But what it is is it's about the slow and agonizing uphill climb <laughs> to get out of the terrible slump that Walt Disney Animation was in in the 70s and the early 80s. And it is fascinating because it's it's basically about the Disney animation renaissance. So the incarnation of the the movies that sort of revamped the whole animation department. Um, so we're talking about Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, all, all of these movies, because before that, they were not doing good at all. It, it was, it was bad. Um, and it really, it's not a documentary that's like just a bunch of talking heads. They really get down into the dirty secrets. Like the, you know, yes, this is a documentary about the Disney Renaissance and all of these awesome movies that won tons of Oscars when they hadn't won one in forever. But behind the scenes, there was some bad stuff going on. Lots of arguing, fighting, not seeing eye to eye, people wanting to go different directions within the company, feuds, big egos. And I'm almost a little bit surprised that we're allowed to know this. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, props to Disney for saying, you know what? Yes we're about making magic but there's people that have to do that and people are always going to be people and sometimes bad things happen behind the scenes so yeah it's not just a talking head you know there's a lot of footage that really illustrates like the tense moments and the dissolving relationships going on behind the magic if you will uh, you know, Michael Eisner and Roy Disney butting heads, Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, Tim Burton, John Lasseter, all these big name guys that, you know, there was a lot of turmoil behind the scenes. Um, and it, it, it also, I mean, it's not all bad. It's not all like just talking about drama. It's, it's sharing the high points too, like the incremental changes that they were implementing, introducing computer graphics for some of the crappy movies, like um, mm-hmm. the Black Cauldron and the Great Mouse Detective. But they they needed those incremental growth moments for you know to get to the point where they could make the Little Mermaid and Beauty and the Beast and all of these awesome movies. But yeah, it really digs into the turmoil going on within the company and the tragedies going on. Um, you know, we we lost not one, but two cornerstone talents with the passing of Howard Ashman and Frank Wells. Um, if you don't know, Howard Ashman was a lyricist and a producer that, you know, he lost his life in 1991 to the AIDS epidemic. Um, Frank Wells was 
the president of the Walt Disney Company from 1984 until he died in um, 1994. It was a heli- he died in a helicopter crash coming back from a ski trip. <laughs> yeah. Um, and and they show, oh, it really just rips your heart out. They actually show how devastated Michael Eisner was. The mm-hmm. loose Frank was. So they worked together for 10 years as CEO and, you know, president of the company. So, I mean, they were basically work husbands. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you just see, like, they didn't shy away from it. You can, you know, they show Michael Eisner, like, breaking down. Mm-hmm. We talk about that in uh, one of the other things, the one of the other doc uh, series that's on Disney Plus too that I know we're going to touch on later. But they talk about that too. So yeah, it's definitely something that touched everybody in the Disney company when that happened. Yeah. So this one, this one was really it was good. So good. Um, and you, you know, you, you do, you get to see all those big name guys when they're really in kind of the infancy of their careers. You know, now we just know them because they've been around for all these decades, but they were new then and they, they had something to prove and they, they did. I mean, the little mermaid kind of like, if it, if the internet had existed back then, it would have broke the internet. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so that one was bring tissues. Obviously you just heard me, (laughs) you just heard me getting emotional because they, they, it's a roller coaster ride because you're like, well, that person is a jerk. And then five minutes later, you're crying your eyes out. And then 10 minutes later, you can't stop laughing. And then you're like, wait, what happened? And then it's all over the place. It's, it, yeah. He really did such a good job of putting it together because you feel you feel all of those things that were happening, <laughs> but at a safe distance. <laughs> right, and a lot of people take for granted. As we we've talked about it in a couple of the other things we've, we've mentioned tonight. Is you know you take for granted that you turn on the TV and bam, it's 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 frozen like. It's an hour and a half a movie, and that's it. And you know, there's just so many things that go behind all uh, all these things that we watch that we take for granted. And I really like that that Disney has put these types of episodes out there because it it for those of us that really enjoy getting to know the Disney company and, and Disney Animation and Disney movies or whatever what have you. It shows you all of that. And I really like that they put these episodes out there. Yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It's it's a it's a it's a great documentary. So Waking Sleeping Beauty, highly recommend. Okay, are we going to Frozen now? We are going to Frozen. I love I I do I said it. I do not knock that movie at all. I am one of those people that James will ask me to turn it on and turn the soundtrack on in the car and I happily oblige and we have one rule and that I'm only allowed to sing the girl parts and he has to sing the boy parts and, oh, 
sing to myself so he doesn't hear me sing the boy parts. So he gets to sing the 90s love ballad. (laughs) My breath, but I love, like, and he does, he belts it out in the back seat, like, yeah, good job, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, so, uh, we're going to go to Into the Unknown, uh, the making of Frozen 2, and you know, yes, this this series is about Frozen 2, but in the same respect, it goes into, at least now, with the type of uh, technology that is out there for making animation movies, um, it kind of goes, you can kind of get a sense of what goes into making any animation movie, right? So, yes, this one is just based on Frozen 2. Um, so, it starts. And I will, you know, we've all at this point, we have all seen this movie at least once. And if you haven't, um, go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Before any of these, these series, go watch Frozen 2. Um, because I heard in the rumor mill they're considering making a Frozen 3, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I read it somewhere. Well, they but, just you know. released a preview of something called Myth, which is about the elements from Frozen 2. I see it. So, um, yeah, check that out. But, so, this starts with a less than a year from the world premiere of Frozen 2. And I'll be honest with you, I remember when they announced Frozen 2 coming out. And I remember that first mock trailer, if you will, of what we're going to expect with Elsa running out into the middle of the ocean, Right. And that was the trailer. Like, that was it. That's all we knew. That's all yeah. we knew. And I remember that. And you think back to when that trailer, if you want to call it a trailer, came out. And then you watch this series. And they were so far from having a completed movie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm watching this going... I, you know, they work long hours, like long hours. Um, there is, there are so many departments where you have somebody that only works on Anna, someone else only works on Olaf, somebody else only works on the background for Olaf, somebody else only works on the backgrounds for Elsa, somebody else only works on Elsa's dress. Like there's a different person for each thing. Um, you know, I want to say it was only a couple months before the world premiere. And they completely scrapped, like, 10 minutes of the movie. And that 10 minutes was, like, a month's worth of work for somebody. Yep. <laughs> and it, it it goes through all the stages of how to get the music and um, the uh, the couple that, that does the music for Frozen 2, they're a married couple, um, them coming up with these ideas and the premise behind what well, we were just talking about, the premise behind Lost in the Woods, and they say it right on on the episode is it's based on a nineties ballad. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we got our inspiration for this song. Like it is based on that. And you listen to it, you're like, Oh yeah, it is, isn't it? I totally danced at my at my high school prom to that song. When that um, came on in the theater <laughs> You know, you know, you get like three seconds into it, you know what's ha- you know what's happening. Like you start to realize, and it's just like, what? 
oh my God, if I ever meet these people, I'm going to hug them because it's so ridiculous, but it's also exactly perfect. <laughs> yeah. It is. It's, I, I really liked it. It, it was, um, uh, one of the characters in the movie is based on one of the, I might be getting it wrong, but it's based on one of the producer's sons who actually passed away prior or during like production of the movie, which was kind of cool and very touching. And, you know, they, they dedicated that to him and that was kind of, you know, they got same thing, like what you were talking about before, like these, these people that are behind the scenes, like they get emotional talking about it. And, um, they show the actors that come in and, you know, you have, um, Josh Gad, who comes in and he films by himself, basically. Like, he does his lines by himself and he says the same thing. You know, yes, this is a line from Frozen 1, but, or from Frozen, but watch out for my butt. You know, <laughs> they say that like 10 different times, 10 different ways. Watch out for my butt. Watch out for my butt. Like, it's, I really liked it. It was so cool to see. I mean, you're talking a week before the world premiere and they're still struggling to figure out Elsa's dress when she goes and gets all, when she walks in and all, and all the diamonds come in and all that, how it, it portrays and they want it to pull the right way and, and how they get the music of when they're in the woods and that, that, um, the, the sound that, they make and it's there's no words it's just really cool if you this is a anyone who loves frozen uh yeah you need to watch it anyone who's into the animation into the production side of things you will be shocked at how you're watching it going you obviously know that they made the world premiere because obviously this gets published and and shown after the movie's released so we know but you're watching it going how are they going to be done they have a week how the heck is this movie going to be ready to go there's no way there's no way but they obviously did um i do yeah. love seeing that stuff like how tedious it is oh my god you know you see a a, a final product and you know 80 to 90 minute thing and that was someone's work year yeah. And it you know, they, wasn't a normal nine to five right. <laughs> work year. It was, <laughs> yeah, That's margaritas insane. at lunch because you just need a break kind of work right. year. <laughs> they have these like daily meetings with each, you know, main animator because you have your main, you have your main Anna animator, your main Kristoff animator. Um, so they come in meeting with them going, okay, what do you got for us today? Oh, nope, I don't like it. Go do it over, you know, like how or to the guy where they said, yeah, we're scrapping that start over. You know, how heartbreaking is that to just feel like I just spent endless hours on that five minutes and it's gone. It's out of the movie. Like it's not even it's a waste of my time. And, you know, obviously they still have parts of the movie, but you kind of feel for these animators that it was not 
good enough, basically, because it wasn't what the movie was about. Yeah. Um, and talk about how, you know, they had to make sure that they brought everything from the original Frozen into Frozen 2 and make sure that it kind of, it continues the story. And it's not a brand new movie. You're, you're talking about a sequel. So it has to, it has to connect. And then you have, um, you have Kristoff's, uh, before his ballad of Lost in the Woods, you have to have his reindeer are smarter than people. And he has to have that part in there. So how does that play into this new movie? And, uh, I really, I think uh, of everything we've talked about so far, I know I've, I've expressed a lot of passion about everything that I've talked about as I always do. Um, this was probably one of my favorite things I watched. Well, it's on my list because I love <laughs> Frozen 2. <laughs> Frozen 2 knocked another animated movie out of my top five. So that's my level of love for Frozen 2. What's your next one? So, Howard, let's see if I can get through this without breaking down. <laughs> okay, so um, Howard is another documentary by Don Hahn, and it's about Howard Ashman. Um, so I, I actually have listened to a lot of interviews with Don Hahn because, like I said before, he's He's a producer, a documentarian, an author. He's like all these things. Um, so he's like a very large body of work and he's been around for a long time. So, and I, his really insightful way of talking about Disney and the people that he worked with. So I was listening to an interview with him and he said that people that were watching Waking Sleeping Beauty, because I, I the mo- Waking Sleeping Beauty came out a while ago. It was like 2008. So, but a lot of people didn't see it until it came on to Disney Plus. So, people, you know, saw Sleep Waking Sleeping Beauty and they really responded to the part of the of the movie with Howard Ashman, and they were like, "Well, wait, we want to know about that guy." Because they just briefly touched on, you know, oh, there's this guy that wrote all these songs with Alan Menken and they won a bunch of Oscars and then he died. And then, like, they keep going on with the film and you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, so he um, he said he was having lunch with Howard's sister one day and he just, like, impulsively told her that he was going to make a film about Howard. And she kind of didn't believe him. <laughs> so. But he said he just felt like he had to, like he had all, he had this pull to tell that story on its own because he had a lot of material revolving around Howard from Waking Sleeping Beauty that didn't make it into the film because, you know, for that film, he was telling a much larger story, but he had the footage. He's, you know, friends with Howard's family. Um, he's good friends with Alan Menken. Um, so he just felt like he needed to do it. And just like brief history, Alan Menken and Howard have worked, you know, they were closely together. They were basically music partners for decades. Um, 
like with you know Howard wrote the lyrics, Alan wrote the music, and they began their collaboration with each other in 1979 when they worked on the musical God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. So they were like doing theater stuff before they even came to Disney. Um, and then they did the Little Shop of Horrors. I know a lot of people out there know what that is. Um, and then they came over to Disney to do the Little Mermaid. They did Beauty and the Beast. Um, they have some music also in Aladdin. Um, but so he wanted to take a deep dive into Howard's story. So he, this was a really interesting documentary in terms of how it was filmed. Um, he made the decision to only have people in the film that knew Howard personally. So no like commentary from critics or reporters or theater experts or like anybody that would have just been watching his story sort of from afar. Um, so he only had people like Howard's sister, Howard's, um, you know, life partner, close friends, obviously like Alan Menken. Um, and like a thing at first that seemed normal, but then, as the film progressed, really kind of stood out was that every interview was audio only. Mm -hmm. So you, you never saw the face of anyone that was talking. Like they didn't, you know, there wasn't a guy sitting in a room asking questions and like the person being interviewed was being filmed talking about Howard. It was audio only, which yeah, at first was a little bit weird, but as the film goes on, you kind of start to get it. So he said that he just felt like it helped the person being interviewed relax more because like if you show up with lights and cameras and backdrops and all that, they're, they're like more aware. It feels more out of place, but with audio, they can just like sit where they're comfortable and relax and essentially forget they're being recorded. And it becomes more like, almost like a cathartic experience where they're able to really like be vulnerable about what happened and what they experienced and what they were feeling. Did you, did you get to see this? I didn't No, I, I, this is when you told me about it, this is the first time I actually have heard about this one. I haven't, I didn't see this pop up on anything. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so he made this like creative decision to film it this way and it, humanizes Howard in a way like it keeps the focus on him rather than you know you're concentrating on what his sister looks like and what right. his partner looks like and you know like what emotions they're expressing on camera you know that's all removed because while you're hearing the audio of them telling you what's going on they're showing you photos and things of Howard doing what they're talking about. So, That's cool. and the, you know, they go through the whole story. So they go through, you know, Howard going to college and then moving to New York and like how he was just a regular guy trying to make it in theater. And, you know, slowly he starts to have some successes and, 
you know, he meets Alan Menken and they do these projects together and they're really successful. And then Disney notices. And so they start to work with Disney and, and of course they weave in his HIV story. So, you know, they, they talk about like when he got the results. So when he got the results that he was HIV positive, he was scheduled to do a presentation that night with Alan Menken um, about the little shop of horrors. And his partner was like, well, we just got this like devastating news. So we'll just cancel. And Howard was like, no, we scheduled it. They're expecting us, you know, I'm going to go do it. So like the day he basically gets a death sentence, (laughs) he's sitting up on stage with Alan Menken doing this presentation about the music and the show that they did of Little Shop of Horrors. And it's like the way that like the scene where they illustrate this moment where this just happened, like he just got this news, he's going to die. Cause back in the, you know, early nineties, late eighties, early nineties, if you got HIV, that's, you're going to die. We don't have, we, there was no medicine. There was nothing. So right. the, the, the scene where they're like illustrating this, it's like, brilliant and excruciating and you know one of the things that Don Han said was like he got it all put together got the film you know pretty much all put together sent it off to Alan Menken and was like hey can you just look at this and make sure nothing is out of place or doesn't make sense or you know did I need to add anything, you know, context wise. And within days, Alan Menken had called him back and said, it's perfect. And also I need to score this movie. (laughs) And Don was like, um, I don't have money for that. (laughs) Cause like documentary resource, like the budget for documentaries is, there isn't one it's like how many pennies can you find in your couch (laughs) so Don's like I I don't have money for you to score this film and Alan Menken was like he he didn't even care he just wanted to score the film because he felt like it was his way to be able to do a musical tribute to his friend so it's brutal bring 17 boxes of tissues <laughs> but it's also so fascinating because you those moments that you saw in passing in waking sleeping beauty where mm-hmm. he's you know he's t- he's talking to Jerry Orbach about how to do Lumiere's voice and he's talking to Jody Benson about like sing it this way and you get more of that footage and it's really interesting because he was so he was so sure like this is the way that I want it you know I mean he's like a trained theater guy and up until that point if you if you look back at Disney movies Like, now we think of them all as musicals, 
But if you think about Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella, there's like two songs in those movies. Right, yeah. Whereas, you know, Little Mermaid has like six songs. Beauty and the Beast, I mean, full soundtracks with lyrics. And that that was Howard. He was like coming into Disney animation and saying, we need to, we need to do this like theater. We need to express emotion more through song because you can use that as a vessel to get you from one point to another. Like one of the examples is when Ursula is singing in The Little Mermaid, at the beginning of the song, Ariel doesn't know anything about Ursula, doesn't even know who she is. Three minutes later, she's signing away her voice so she can have legs. That's like an incredible story arc that just happened in three minutes. (laughs) You know, and his whole thing was like, it can't just be like you stop and sing a song and then you start again. It has to be woven into the movie and carry you from one location to the next, one one end of the storyline to the next. And so, like, the way that we're doing movies now with Moana and Frozen, that was all put in place by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. I mean, Howard was the one that came up with the tunes. And because because you can't just write a movie and then put songs in, he's, he's basically a writer within the movie, too. So... It was just really interesting to see how determined and like just very like this is how we need to do it. He was very it's funny, too, because they talk about how like he was afraid to be rejected. But at the same time, here he is where he's just like, I know it needs to be this way. (laughs) He's the one we can thank for. You know, Sebastian having a Rastafarian voice. Because the Hans Christian Andersen version of Little Mermaid is like a Dutch. It's not Caribbean. (laughs) It is not that at all. And he was just like, what if we made it Caribbean? (laughs) And everybody was like, that sounds insane. And he was like, this is how it needs to be. And he was right. They won Oscars. You know, so, yeah, yeah. so he's kind of the person that we have to thank for, you know, everybody wants to talk about how great the music is for Moana and the Frozen movies. We have him to thank for that being the new structure of the way that these kinds of movies are made. Now, obviously, not every single Disney movie that comes out is structured that way, like Toy Story is not like that. and you know, Wreck-It Ralph or whatever, but (laughs) still it, it made a huge impact because if you look at the little, they did that first for the little mermaid and then look at every movie that came after that. Yeah. Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Aladdin, like all of those movies are kind of structured the same way. So. To quote the Mandalorian series, he has spoken. (laughs) It's true. It's true. Um, So, yeah, this will make you cry. I mean, you know, 
he dies at the end. It sucks. His life was cut sh- way too short. But I think I won't tell you how they end the movie, but um, I'll just say you should watch it and bring okay. tissues. <laughs> um, um, that's I'm adding it. Uh, yeah, like I said, I had not I had not even seen anything about this one, so I'm glad that you have seen it to tell us about it because I I had known on from watching one of the other series that Disney Plus has about like the brief snippets of it and everything and you know Beauty and the Beast and 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 talking to Jerry Orbach like watching the the quick um, connection that they had, but that was to me like that was it, you know, because that's all that was portrayed in in that other series. And now, like knowing that there's more, like oh okay, I want to go and see what else, what did I miss? What wasn't portrayed in that other series? So I'm glad that they're taking other parts, like expanding on things that they should have talked about more but couldn't have because then it would have been a different series. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like and they get it. into some crazy stuff too, like that you'll appreciate Disney because I mean, he, when you have HIV and there's no medicine, you kind of waste away. So after the little mermaid, when they started working on beauty and the beast, the, the animation team went to him. They went to a, you know, crappy like holiday in hotel in the town in New York where he lived and they didn't know he was sick. They thought he was being like a diva basically and being like, Oh, well I just want all these Oscars. And so you need to come to me. They had no idea he was sick. He hadn't told anyone besides his partner. So Disney's like, well, okay. You know, so they travel to him. And then when he finally does disclose that, like, I'm sick and I can't work as many hours anymore because I I'm too tired. Then not only does Disney say that's fine, but like, yeah, they, they go above and beyond. Like he was afraid to tell them that he was sick because he thought he would lose his job. And Disney did the exact opposite. So from a company standpoint, it's like, oh, they actually practice what they preach. <laughs> what? You know, it 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 kind of it's a it's heartwarming, I guess. It it makes you feel safe. So okay, yeah, go watch it, bring tissues, and then you can come yell at me for making you cry. <laughs> <laughs> Permission <laughs> to watch that before I watch Princess and the Frog. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Sorry, Princess Tiana. <laughs> I'm going to watch Princess and the Frog, but I like that type of stuff. I mean, that I I that type of stuff. I like that thing. I like watching that stuff. So. And I mean, who doesn't need a good cry every now and again, you know? Yeah. Well, and just considering how much of his work is still very present. Like, oh, yeah. even in the parks. You know, of course, we can talk about 
you know, all of these amazing songs he wrote and like these characters he helped create, but like go to magic kingdom. There's a beauty and the beast attraction. There's a beauty and the beast basically land. Like it's all these decades later, it's still one of the most important properties that Disney has. Yeah. Yeah. And the little mermaid. You know, it, and then go over to Epcot. There's another Beauty and the Beast thing there. And then there's a stage show for Beauty and the Beast and the Little Mermaid at the studios. Right. It, they're everywhere. They're still, they're on Broadway still and, you know, they sell out tickets. So I was going to say that before when you were talking about like the, the bring theater to the movies. I mean, it kind of went in full circle where you're bringing theater to the movies and then the movies were brought to theater. Exactly. Yes. So yeah, very cool. All right. Now, is this your last one? It is. I think, I think it's my last one too. I think this one is the one that we have that matches. Yes. (laughs) One thing that, that was the same and why not it be, the one I think this was like one of the first things that Disney, one of the first series that Disney Plus put out. I, I feel like it was one of the first. Yeah, I think so. I think the the first episode might have been there when they released it. Yes. So I could not wait for the last one. So uh, we are talking about the Imagineering story. It's kind of the elephant in the room. We would be remiss if we didn't talk about this. Like everybody who has who is still listening right now, you're probably saying, "Why didn't you talk about this first? Well, you <laughs> saved the best for last." Because well, this, and I remember telling people about this when I found out they had Disney Plus and they're Disney people. I'm like, "You have to watch this because it makes you appreciate the Disney parks and not." Yes, the movies, because obviously the parks wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for the movies and vice versa. But it makes you appreciate everything that went into the parks themselves from when Walt Disney first had that dream of somewhere for his kids to go. Like, it started with that. Like, it's, and it goes, you think about the most recent thing that Disney has released the Disney parks, mind you, that Disney parks have released, and that is Galaxy's Edge. Um, and you go from having this idea of Disneyland to what Galaxy's Edge is now. And this series, which is about it's six episodes, it's about six and a half hours of your time in total if you binge it all at once, and it goes from that first idea to where Disney is now. And it is just, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Right? It is. So, okay, a little, a little background on it. Um, I think this is actually a very cool detail, I guess. The executive producer is Leslie Iwerks. Leslie Iwerks is the granddaughter of Ub Iwerks. Ub Iwerks is the animator that designed Mickey Mouse. Okay, so I didn't, I mean, I knew those details, but I didn't know that that, I didn't know all of that. (laughs) (laughs) So you have 
the granddaughter of one of the, you know, original, I guess you could say Disney cast members or, you know, Disney people making this docu-series. So, and Leslie Iwerks has done other things besides this. Um, She did the Pixar story. You know, she's a very talented documentarian and she has won, you know, at least one Oscar that I know of. So it's well produced is, you know, all I'm going to say, but yes. Um, very cool. Very like talk about full circle. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know that. Um, but yeah, and it, it chronicles the history of Disney Imagineering basically. It makes you appreciate the parks. You know, it's, and it's something that I feel like I say every episode we do. I mean, from talking about Pandora um, it, and, and appreciating that more if you've seen Avatar, to it makes you, watching this makes you appreciate the Disney parks more. I, I mean, it really does. It's And I'm one to, I, I've always appreciated the Disney parks. I do know enough Walt Disney history to know what it to build those parks and the ideas behind everything. But then watching these episodes, you do learn some things. And it does make you appreciate all the hard work that goes in backstage from, I mean, taking, I I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Don, when I, I think I might be going to the last episode or one of the last episodes, but when they were trying to figure out Galaxy's Edge and and taking like these huge styrofoam blocks, right, to try in, in this small area to try and figure out where everything's going to be laid out. Was that yeah. that's right? And you know, you don't think about that. It, you you think, oh well, I'm just going to build it. That's it. But they have these styrofoam blocks that no, it was for was it for Cars Land maybe? Yeah, I think it was Car. Yeah, and I might yeah. be confusing. It was it was for one or the other. I forget. I mean, and then just all the details in you know in Galaxy's Edge to the the plates that are sitting up on the shelves where they had to get them from somewhere, and and you think about the fact that they have two Galaxy's Edge, so they have one in Disney World and one in Disneyland, and if you go to Disney World. And then you go to Disneyland, that plate is in the same spot in both places. So they have to mirror each other. Yeah. Right? So it just, I mean, there's things that you don't think about that go behind these. And it goes, uh, this whole series is just about all that Imagineering that you'll go to Disney, whether it be Disney World or Disneyland or even Shanghai Disney, that you're going to appreciate more that you watch these episodes. I yeah, and it's believe- like the Imagineers themselves are, you know, they're interviewing the Imagineers themselves. So they're talking about their their thought process and the, you know, the struggles that they ran into and the, the solutions they were able to come up with. And, you know, how I, you know, I was ha- I was having a problem with this. So I went over to this other department and talked to this other guy and he said, well, I could do this. And, you know, how the collaborations that have to take place and you have to kind of like, you have to let go a little bit of your ego Mm -hmm. and say, I don't know how to do this, but there's a guy in the next room that might know and, and how they sort of like 
manage those relationships and go through the, the trial and error. And yeah, it left me wanting more. I was like, can we do this six thing docuseries for each individual park now? (laughs) I, I, it is one thing that I will go back to every couple months just to see if they've secretly released more episodes. Yeah. It was so well done. I couldn't wait for Fridays to watch that. It was, yeah. Yeah, and they do. So, yeah, there's six episodes, and they kind of go through, you know, Walt Disney, Walt and Roy, like, getting ready to set up Disneyland and, like, going through that process and all the people that worked on the rides and designing the park and then they go over into Walt Disney World and you see Epcot and um, you know then MGM Studios and Disney's Animal Kingdom they talk about every single park Disneyland Paris I, I had a laugh in the episode where they are covering Disneyland Paris um, the executive is is like you know the Again, they're getting, they're telling you some of the like turmoil that was happening. So people in France didn't want Disney there. They were protesting and, you know, we don't want your American, (laughs) you know, we don't want you to like West or Americanize our country. And we don't, you know, if we want to go to Disney, we'll go to Florida or we'll go to California. We don't need a park here. And, you know, they finally, finally got it built and open. And, you know, it's, it's Disney. So castle parks are not going to have alcohol and French people are not cool with that. (laughs) There will be alcohol and there is alcohol, like, you know, how they had to adjust to the local culture to make themselves be welcome. Um, and you don't necessarily think of that as being an imagineering thing, but then when they go to Shanghai Disney, you see how important adjusting the park to the culture is because that park is designed very differently. I was just going to say that. Yeah. They had to just the opposite, take into consideration the culture and how things are there. Yeah. Like you can't put certain things by each other or so their hub area at their castle park is very different from the ones that you would see in California, Florida, and even Disneyland Paris. It looks, they've designed it completely differently because their culture uses different design elements, if you will, to, you know, express themselves. And Disney did a lot of research to make sure that it was going to feel welcoming to the people who were going to be spending the most time there, which is obviously the people that live close by. Right. So that was really interesting. But yeah, yeah, they talk to like Imagineers that you know and some that you should or some that you know, but you don't know that you don't know. (laughs) Like, um, like Raleigh Crump, like, you know him, but you don't, 
and probably if you see a picture of him, you would recognize him, but you don't, you know, and like Tony Baxter, Alice Davis, who's a costume designer. That was something else I thought was really cool because like we were talking before about how Disney isn't just the guy that sells you popcorn and the Imagineers. There's a lot of people in between there that also exists within Imagineering. People might think of Imagineer as like, oh, those are just the guys that build the rides. Yes, but how m- the amount of different expertise that you have to have within Imagineering is very vast. So you have art right. directors, you have construction designers, you have costume design. Like somebody had to make all the costumes for all those kids in Small World. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was an Imagineer, you know? Um, and like pirate, the pirates of the Caribbean, like those guys are all wearing costumes. Um, there's lighting technicians and painters because a lot of these rides are utilizing like black lighting and special paint. Um, so I thought that was really cool too, because you kind of get to see the full array of what it takes to be an Imagineer. But yeah, they, yeah, like one of the guys they talked to was, I actually wrote down this name, Blaine Gibson, who's a sculptor. And then Bill Evans is a landscape designer, Kim Irvine, they talked to for a while. Um, and you know Kim Irvine because her mother is Leota Toombs. Leota Toombs is Madame Leota. <laughs> Um, so, you know, so Kim Irvine is an art director within Imagineering and she worked on like the reimagining, um, like the updates that they did on the Haunted Mansion and Pirates of the Caribbean. And, um, she was part of the team that decided to put Disney IP characters in Small World at Disneyland. Um, so you can thank Kim for that little mermaid and the <laughs> Aladdin and the Lilo and Stitch and all of those things that are scattered about, um, small world. There was a lot of interesting interviews with the different executives. Episode five wrecked me. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. Bring tissues for that one. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yep. In episode five, they talk about Tokyo Disneyland. And they talk to Daniel Jew, who's like one of the park executives, if you will, about the earthquake and the tsunami that hit there in 2011. And that was, it was emotional. And they, they did not shy away. It was not a 30 second thing. Like, they showed a lot of footage and yeah, like it, it was not a little 30 second scene. They, they, sh- they showed what was happening in the park during the earthquake. And I, so I, now this is a personal opinion. Um, but I feel anyone who has not fully taken advantage of everything that is on Disney plus. Out of everything we talked about so far, I think if anyone was, if you were going to start somewhere, in my opinion, 
this would be where to start. Yeah. So, but yes, making a Frozen 2, okay, we know, we want to see how the animation is made, but this touches on everything. Like, there wouldn't be a Frozen 2 if we didn't have Disneyland. You know, we wouldn't have the one day at Disney with the Disney sculptors or the train engineer. Like, we wouldn't have those shorts if Walt Disney didn't have this idea of Disneyland. So, I, I again, personal opinion, but if you're going to start anywhere, spend the six and a half hours to sit and watch this whole docuseries. And then take your pick into one of the other nine things that we talked about and watch one of those. But this just kind of gets you into the whole story of everything and where all these ideas come from. Yeah, I totally agree. I would start here first. Imagineering story. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really well done. And the episodes fly by and I promise (laughs) you, like after I think everybody I've talked to that has seen it, they were like, why is there only six episodes? <laughs> I want more. You all have the benefit of the doubt that all six episodes are there. When I first started watching it, I had to wait. I watched an episode and said, wait, what? No, I want more. Yeah. You know, wait till the next week when they release <laughs> the next one. Yeah. You yeah. watch them. Yeah, I um, I really okay. enjoyed it. Which we call it. Um, oh, do you have honorable mentions, runner-up? Thank you. Yeah, just a couple, and we're not going to get into them, but obviously a few things. Um, Inside Pixar, um, I've seen a couple episodes that is really good. I do recommend watching that. Um, anyone who is in, or if your kids are into animals, things like that, I know you can watch them on National Geographic, uh, but Dr. Pole, awesome, love Dr. Pole. And uh, Secrets of the Zoo Down Under or any of the Secrets of the Zoo episodes that are out. Uh, for anyone that has kids that really enjoy animals, those are some, again, things you can watch on Nat Geo at any point in time, but all the episodes are on Disney Plus at any point in time. Uh, those are actually two things that James also watches on a daily basis. He watches Dr. Pole without flinching. There's things that I watch and like, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then, of course, Disney's current newest thing that's going has to be mentioned is WandaVision for all of our Marvel fans Wa- out just there. This disclosure, it's not a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> but it is incredible. <laughs> right? But, so, and the only reason I'm mentioning WandaVision so Dan and I are both into, my husband and I are both into uh, Marvel. And I said, so I had mentioned to him, like, oh, do you want to watch WandaVision with me? He's like, no, I, I, I already know. Blah, 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 blah. Like, no, you don't. Like, you think you might know what's going on? You think you might have an idea of WandaVision? You have no idea. So watch WandaVision. If you are skeptical of WandaVision, watch WandaVision. That's all I'm going to say. I hope that they do some kind of behind the scenes thing on that. Yes. Because they used Dick Van Dyke to like help them reference the first episode to like get it right the way that it should look. Yeah. I want to see the footage of him being like, no, do it this way. (laughs) You have no idea. WandaVision is about, I'm telling you, if you're a Marvel fan, go watch WandaVision. 
Yeah, it's it's incredible. It's so good. Yeah. But again, I know not a documentary, but it is a series, so it had to be thrown in there. <laughs> but that's all. Those are my mentions. So, but yeah, I uh, I hope you guys enjoy Disney Plus as much as I have. I've definitely gotten my career subscription, if you will, out of the past eighteen months. So, and if you're just not ready to travel to the parks right now, these are all good things that'll yeah. kind of give you a little dose of Disney, but without. Yeah having to worry about quarantining when you get back for two weeks. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so these are our picks. Um, And I would love to know uh, in the group from you guys, if you watched anything that we didn't mention, or if you watched anything that we did mention and why you liked it or didn't like it. Um, I know I do have a list. Um, I want to see Frank and Ollie and the boys, which is about the Sherman brothers. Those are next on my list after I finish uh, Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom. And then, of course, Into the Unknown. Have to watch that. Um, but, yeah, so these are our lists. Um, head over to the group. I'd love to hear from you guys. Like, what did you like? What did you not like? What are you going to watch first? Um, let us know. And... I think we're going to be pulling up to our stop here. I don't have anything else. Do you? No, I'm good. I've said all I had to say. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, we're going to let you go. Of course, you know, you can always reach out to Katie in the group if you have any questions about planning your next trip to a Disney destination. And we will talk to you guys again soon. Hi, everybody. Talk soon. That's a wrap on this episode. Thanks so much for riding the red line with us. Thanks to my guest, Katie Fisher from Pictures and Postcards Travel. If you're heading to the Disney parks or looking at booking a Disney cruise or an Adventures by Disney experience, Katie can help you get the best prices, all the available discounts, and she'll give you the most signature personal service all at no cost to you. You can find her online at picturesandpostcardstravel.com, on Facebook and Instagram at Pictures and Postcards Travel, or you can email her directly at kfisher at nyaaa.com. Now that you've had a listen, we invite you to join our Main and Magic Friends community on Facebook to share your thoughts about the episode. You're welcome to pop in to share an idea, story, or photo and connect with other Disney fans. You can also ask questions, get and give advice, post updates from the parks, and just have fun. Head to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash main and magic to join. If you've got a comment or a question, you can also email me at mainandmagic at gmail.com and you can find us on Instagram at mainandmagic. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a minute to share it out on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and pop over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks so much for listening and of course, in the Disney tradition, around here we don't like to say goodbye, so we say see you real soon!